But as we've been thinking a little this morning, disappointment is a reality we're frequently faced with in day-to-day life. Um, And this is no less true in the life of the church. You think of a cause for inquiries you've been planning for months and praying for, and nobody turns up. Or the home group you work really hard at preparing only to feel undermined when you leave it. Or turning up week upon week to serve in a practical way only to feel unappreciated. Um, And it's very easy sometimes to just ask, what is the point? And that is a question uh, that Zechariah's audience suffered with. Uh, They felt great frustration um, having gone through the pain of exile under the Babylonians um, and the Persians had risen up and so some had been able to go back and begin rebuilding the temple Um, but for those who could remember the old one it was a huge disappointment Um, Ezra talks about someone weeping as they lay the foundations just because they thought it was pitiful Um, and opposition had put a halt to temple building for several years and then again in Zechariah and Haggai's time there was a chance um, to come back and get back to work but many just couldn't face it Um, as as Haggai says who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory how does it look to you now does it not seem to you like nothing Last week we saw that um, Israel's suffering in exile was not a result of misfortune or of God losing his power but of him being faithful to his promise to judge unfaithfulness. He hadn't forgotten his promises to them, the great promises he'd made to Abraham Um, and here he expands on that further by declaring he's going to come and live with his people that would have been really vital to a people rebuilding a temple that was supposed to be the dwelling place of God. And I hope that we'll see um, that knowledge of God's presence with us and the blessings that it brings are key to Christian living. So last week we saw the first two um, visions in Zechariah 1. And here in Zechariah 2, uh, we're confronted with a, a man who seems to have taken these visions to heart and God promised in verse 16 of chapter 1 that the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem. And this chap is clearly very keen and he thinks, what is the point in waiting? Um, it seems from verse 4 that his, his measuring is for the purpose of rebuilding the walls. Um, this is not only a response to what God has already said, uh, but it seems the rational thing to do. Um, Remember, Judah was a tiny sub-province within the great Persian Empire. Um, Chris said last week that it was roughly twice the size of the Isle of Wight. So not the most significant territorially. And she was surrounded by several hostile enemies who'd already put a stop to temple construction. So surely this was the sensible thing to do. Get a wall built, and then the important job of temple construction could, could be... Um, restarted without any kind of disturbance. Uh, Well, what in many ways seems a sensible approach um, gets corrected by the angel who speaks on God's behalf. So why shouldn't they do this? 
Well, so the pastor says, because God is more committed to the security and prosperity of Jerusalem than this man could ever be, security and prosperity do not come from man-made walls, but by the presence of God. And their responsibility was to rebuild the temple in preparation for this. God's presence with them was a good thing. We can see that in verses 4 and 5 because it would lead, in verse 4, to growth um, of people and prosperity when they were an insignificant sub-province within the mighty Persian Empire. Um, It would lead to protection in verse 5 when their enemies were numerous and it would lead to a display of God's glory when to be quite honest, the people were a bit of a joke. Um, but they were to be a people who had to wait for God's presence and in the meantime had to act in faith. We're fortunate um, that we have, in Christ, had God come down and dwell among us as a man and now he continues to dwell among us in his spirit. And yet, we still await the day when we will dwell with him perfectly, when we will see him face to face. So what does this mean for us? Um, Well, I want to suggest a response of three Ps, which might seem obscure to start with, but hopefully will become clearer. Protection, presence and power. Um, So firstly, live under God's protection. Having painted a picture of an overflowing city protected by God, Zechariah pleads with his people to come back and enjoy it, calling them to flee from the land of the north and escape Babylon. The sad fact was that after the horror of invasion and being driven into exile, many had become accustomed to their new life abroad. They felt secure and comfortable in their new wealth. And returning to an unimpressive Jerusalem just wasn't an attractive prospect. Well, Zechariah wants the people to see that this security, while it might look right, was deceptive. Remaining there wouldn't cause them to, would cause them to forget their priorities and they would not go unharmed as Babylon was going to be judged. See that in verse 9. I will surely raise my hands against them so their slaves will plunder them. What a contrast this is to the vision of Jerusalem. Zechariah longed that they would come back and enjoy it. And the vision assured them that God was going to protect them. See there in verse 8. Whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. Attacking God's people is equivalent to attacking God himself. And he was going to ensure their protection and in his care was the safest place for them to be. So, what about us? The man at the beginning wanted to make a wall for his own and his people's own protection. How can we be guilty of building our own walls of protection rather than trusting God? Maybe it's financially a desire to... to develop our own financial security rather than trusting God with our money. Or, and, and tied to that, maybe the idea we have an attraction to living life self-sacrificially, but 
don't want to face the kind of the risks that that might afford or that might bring. Or maybe it's not stepping out in evangelism because we're afraid and we don't trust that God will protect us. Uh, I remember a friend telling me about a barbecue that they had at his church where um, they'd invited people from the community to come and indeed they did uh, but the people were kind of happy to stand outside and the majority of the people from the church were stuck inside the walls which is kind of provides a symbol just there of these man-made walls of protection and people kind of unaware that there were people outside and they were quite content to sit there in comfort. There's a great danger that as we feel comfortable and secure we no longer see our need for God and we can cling to that security rather than clinging to God or stepping out for him. So where, where are we maybe looking for security in the wrong places? Secondly, um, Zechariah calls us to enjoy God's presence in verses 10 to 12. I wonder what the great attraction is of Oxford. I'm sure there are many. Um, If you were to pick up a tour guide, I'm sure it would boast about its fine architecture or its uh, parks and open spaces or fantastic museums or historic colleges. Well, here we kind of have not a tour guide, but um, an angel's guide to Jerusalem. And it, it states that the unique attraction is that this is the place where God's glory is displayed. See that really clearly in, in verse 5. Um, I will be its glory within. Uh, but that's also kind of touched on with the idea of God dwelling among his people in verses 10 and 11. So God's people are to be distinguished by his glory within them. So when people outside look at Modern Road Church, or indeed when we consider it ourselves, what is our distinguishing mark? Is it the events that we run for the community, like the very popular Live Manger or the recent Family Fun Day, or other programmes that we put on? Or is it the glory of God's presence within us, According to Zechariah 2, I think that is what should distinguish us. But do we crave for it in the way that Zechariah does? Is it our greatest source of joy and a cause for celebration, as Zechariah calls us to? Is it our greatest longing to know God's presence perfectly, as we will in the New Jerusalem? For the majority of us too, we should take great joy in the fact that we're we were not a part of the people of God, but now form part of the many nations uh, which are promised in verse 11 to be joined to the Lord um, in an act of God's grace. He could have stuck with the one people, the Jews, um, but has given many nations the opportunity to know him through the death of his son. We should not make little of that and ought to be a people whose greatest joy is in the presence of God. And finally, um, we're to be a people who trust in God's power. Um, As verse 13 reads, Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself 
from his holy dwelling. What a contrast to the enthusiasm and the action of that young man in verse 1. The whole passage has showed that God achieves it all. His presence leads to prosperity and protection. The great thing is that Christ has promised us he will build his church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. It's God who's building our church and at times we can be tempted like that man with the measuring line to move straight into action but we're called first to be still. In the face of challenges over staffing and finances and issues over the church building when we're tempted to look to the first rational solution or worry it's God who's going to build his church here at Magdalen Road. We can take courage because we see him doing that all over the world um, and all through history. Take, for example, um, China, where the, peop- the communists came to power in 1949 and uh, in 1951 and 52, all foreign missionaries were kicked out of the country. Um, and the bamboo curtain was dropped. Everyone thought this must be the end of the church in China because the missionaries had been the key leaders and evangelists among them and without them it was thought that the church could never survive. For decades nothing was heard uh, because, that, because of that bamboo curtain just closing out all that, any kind of information coming out. And when things started to open up in the 80s and 90s, people were amazed at um, the vibrant indigenous movement, which had not only survived, but it was thriving. And they'd actually taken the gospel to other provinces. And revival was breaking out in the Chinese church. Everyone had thought, how can it survive without these expert missionaries doing it? Well, obviously... God could do it. And that is what happens. Great encouragement um, that God can and does build his church. So where is our trust? Is it in human rationality, a bit like that man with the measuring line? Or are we trusting the God who has promised to build his church?